Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Welcome to St. Romain, and that was the brilliant track 87 Days from H. Burner, which came out on Friday. Um, so, as I said, welcome to St. Romain, the February edition. Special one for this month. No mix to be heard, but we have a full two hours with an amazing <laughs> guest. Uh, and that man you can hear laughing in the background is the secret DJ. Thank you very just, much. Yeah. It, may, it makes me sound really lazy, then, that there's no oh, mix. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The mix is fine. Actually, I don't. I don't mind a mix. There's loads of mixes on on my mix cloud, but it's um, it, it's one of those things that I think if you take it out of context, it should be live. Yeah. You know, yeah. you sort of. It, I find I find it a little bit daft. It's like I don't like having my picture taken, and I find mixes, um, you know, endured rather than enjoyed. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's sort of um. It, 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 once you take it out of the party, it's a bit like the Hitman and her or something. It just you look at it and it just looks ridiculous. Oh, boiler room! You just look at it like, what is that? Oh, it's boy- a, what 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 um what um you know the naked lunch William Burroughs. Yeah. He actually somebody said to him, "What is the naked lunch, Mister Burroughs?" And he went, um, "It's the moment that you actually look at the disgusting thing on the end of your fork." And I always find that sometimes with with what we do, it has you can only experience it. You can't really report it. So when you write about it, especially in film, if you look at clubs on film anywhere, it's ridiculous. Just a load of sort of models waving their hands in the air. And you know, if you go into a club, it's like a, it's like it's like being interrogated with a strobe. You can't hear anything. You can't. Nobody understands what you're saying. You need subtitles. But every time they have it on 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 film, it just it's got nothing at all to do with the actual experience of it. And I think mixes are a little bit like that, where it's sort of, it has more in common with radio yeah. than with actual dance music. So yeah, I, I'm sort of, I've, I've started doing mixes during during the uh, lockdowns. Uh, and uh, I did a few before and I, I, I see the point with things like chill out mixes, which are big here in Ibiza. I kind of get that because it's supposed to be background music, but I personally can't listen if something's on in the background, I have to listen to it. And, and I find it quite annoying when music's just bubbling away because I, I want to listen to it. Yeah. So I, I've never really understood that sort of buying a record like um, Moon Safari or or, or, so, or even somebody quite good like Massive Attack where middle-class people have it on in the background for a dinner party. That's just so disrespectful to the music, I think. And I, I just find that um, I'm, I'm very sort of either or. You're either doing it and, you, and you're nuts deep in it or... You know, you, you don't listen at all. So I spend most of my time in complete silence. I don't listen to anything unless I'm kind of working, if you like, which I suppose is a bit odd. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> well, there we go. That's the intro to him. Um, I mean, I guess I'm going to do a very brief introduction of you. So DJ, author, activist, you've got two books, both of which are bestsellers on Amazon <laughs> Music. Activist. You've got to let me talk you up, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but... 
for those who don't know you, yeah, how would you describe yourself? Oh, complete buffoon. A <laughs> <laughs> total idiot. I mean, it's it's. I mean, what kind of life is this? I mean, I just sort of mince around, not playing records. <laughs> it's, about, it's about as zen as it gets I've just for about 10 minutes told you that I never play records yeah I mean I, for me music is everything it's it's a holy thing it's sacred you know it's not something that's the the the, the soundtrack to my totally awesome movie of my life that's playing out on Instagram it's the opposite of that it's a thing in itself it's an art form it, if you take it out of context and have it as background to anything I think it's hugely disrespectful not just to the artists that made it but to the to the art itself yeah. so I just I'm, I'm a bit like um if if Hannibal Lecter he loves a sandwich I, I'm, I love music as much as he loves a sandwich made of people. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so, bang into it. So far, we've got the phrase nuts deep into it. And if Hannibal Lecter likes a sandwich, <laughs> then that's me. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's, so let's go, you know, right back, talking about the love of music and how much, you know, you yeah. do love and respect it. Like, where did that love first come from? Well, it's, it, I mean, like the disco, or music is another place to go. You know, it, it is an elsewhere and if you have, if you, if you grew up anywhere near Bradford in the 1970s, you, you definitely don't want to be somewhere else, you know. And, and it was a way of being out, away from bullying, away from conservatives, away from the miners' strike, away from horrible school dinners, uh, away from bullies. You know, it was just a, an away thing. And I've actually got like great big daft headphones on now. And, and I grew up with big, great big daft headphones on. Like um, I had a cape when I was a kid. I was known as the kid with the cape. And I'd go to the shops to get my mum some fags. And the guy would go, oh, are you, are you Superman or something? I'd go, no, I'm just wearing a cape. Maybe it's just a really good fashion <laughs> statement. I'm just fine. I've still got quite a big collection. I do like a cape. And uh, you, can, you literally cannot not enter a place without with a cape on. It's definitely like, you know, you make a statement when you walk in a room and you've got a cape on, you know. Darth Vader doesn't wear dungarees. Can you imagine? You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. He's Darth Dungas. <laughs> Is it? And I used to wear a cape and I used to have great big headphones on. What There was a little um, volume control on each ear. Right. And uh, and I'd look, you know, look like an alien. with. I didn't have anything, the headphones plugged into anything. This was 10 years before Walkman came out, you know, maybe even 15 years. Uh, but I just used to run around with the headphones on and a cape on. And, and as soon as I got in, I'd plug it in the big curly lead and sit in a in a, in a swivel chair and, sw- and swivel around until I was dizzy and listen to sound effects records like a simpleton. <laughs> 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 my mum was convinced I was simple for a long time because I just all I did was like ro- rotate and li- <laughs> listen to dogs barking and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was very much about escape. Yeah, getting away from things, and it was another world. Yeah, I mean it's hard. It's hard for people now who are so kind of, if you like, saturated with sensation. What it was like to live in an era when everything was in black and white. You know, I mean, almost everything was black and white when I was growing up. The TV was black and white. There wasn't really much colour in anything. Everything was filthy. You know, I mean, it was dirty in the 1970s because we had lots of, um, uh, you know, utility strikes. So the things like the bin men would be on strike and things like that. And uh, so things were covered in shit <laughs> everywhere you went. And it was a bit like threads. It was like sort of post-apocalyptic some places. I mean, I'm, I'm painting it a bit sort of dark satanic mills and everything, but it was genuinely quite grim so you know when you when you went home 
and you saw a picture of David Bowie, you're just like, Jesus Christ, what is that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to get that across now to somebody who sees something amazing every thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, do you remember how often? I don't know how old you are, but do you remember how often me- memes used to happen in the nineteen seventies? But they happened once a year, like once a year you'd get something like hissing Sid is innocent. Yeah, you know, like a like a craze, like a hula hoop or something. And now you get a meme literally every thirty seconds, probably probably more often if if you could actually receive them as often as they're made. Yeah, but it used to be literally like once a year there'd be a craze. That everybody would sort of get in on, which is a meme. Yeah. Uh, but we used to get them like <laughs> once a year, and it, something good would be on telly like once a week. You, it, once a week, you'd want to see Star Trek or or Batman or something, and it was on for about twenty minutes or half an hour, and then um, and then you know that was it. But now I literally don't have enough time in the day to watch all the things I want to watch. There's so much stuff. So it's sort of going back, uh, being devoted. Married to music, if you like, comes from almost no alternative. There was no internet. There was no, uh, there was no elsewhere to go. You either went, you internalized things or, you know, I don't know, you played fucking football or something, (laughs) whatever humans do. (laughs) But yeah, that was, that was that thing. I think you either socialized and you became a good citizen or you became a a, a bit, a bit, uh, a bit of a weirdo. And then I think, and also in those days we had, normals and freaks and that was it there was not there were sort of little sub tribes but basically it was split down the middle very much like it's now normals and freaks but freaks were very rare it was almost like 99 percent of the population was interested in football adidas pints uh work getting married and stuff and the freaks were just so thin on the ground now now everyone's a freak everyone's got a tattoo every and it's completely shifted you'd be hard pushed to find anyone claiming to be normal now you know but it was a uh, normal in inverted commas so it's, it's a very straight it's, it's almost impossible to describe to somebody who wasn't around then how how kind of bleak it was really culturally bleak as well as financially bleak and you know, lots of other things so um yeah if you can understand that bleakness you can understand being absolutely devoted to anything that escapes from it yeah yeah i i i do understand that a little bit because i grew up in the midlands as all of the car industry was disappearing yeah so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what i'm going to do is i'm going to go straight go into your first track let's have a little talk about that one so you got david axelrod axelrod mm. yeah so why yeah. david axelrod holy thursday well when you when you're a kid as well you don't really understand time so an old record doesn't seem that different to a new record. And even this was an old record at the time, but it was becoming, if you like, um, uh, a, a, a hip thing, you know, a sort of underground thing. And, and the, it's, you're at that sort of age where you're not quite teenagers. So the, so the bigger boys, they, they know stuff. And they'd be like, oh, God, you don't like Motorhead, do you? You big greasy sweater. And you're like, yeah, I really like Motorhead. They're like, shut up and listen to David Axelrod, you idiot. And then so you'd get this sort of influence from above and it was cultivating taste. It was you're being instructed. You, you were learning, you know. So this is one of the first, because I used to play the drums when I was a kid. I used to play like in a military band and I used to play in like uh, in at the Irish Centre, playing the ball and I used to play the fiddle and the loads of Irish things. You know, we're a big, big Irish family. And, um, and we used to get beaten severely all the time at Gaelic football and Hurley, like really, like I think one match we got beaten 122 nil. We were that bad, you know, because <laughs> we were just basically English. You know, we did uh, these, these brutal lads used to come over from like County Mayo and just 
just turn us into mincemeat for fun, you know? So anyway, yeah, it was, and also it was like being a Muslim in the 1970s. If you were Irish and a Catholic in the 1970s in England, you were the enemy. Yeah. So at school, we were, we were, we were hammered. Of course, all the difference is that, you know, all we have to do is learn a new accent and also or keep your mouth shut. At least they can't discriminate against your skin. But it was, a, a, yeah, so I understand, well, I won't say understand, but there was some experience of British xenophobia around that time as well. And it's, it feels very similar now. Just feels very similar. Anyway, Axelrod comes along and I'm playing the drums really, in a really very formal sort of, like I've got a rod up my ass way, you know what I mean? And this sort of funky thing comes along and you're just like oh it, it gets you in a very primal way you're just like that's 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 new that's yeah. different and, and 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 you were saying that this is about uh you know influences and things that have had an effect on you and and this album and particularly this track holy thursday has a has a real meaning because it freed my ass if you like in a in a sort of uh you know, in a sort of funk way, even yeah. though it wasn't really very black and it wasn't really very funky. It was a bit jazzy and a bit white, but so was I. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's a meaningful record because I started to swing a little bit when I was playing the drums. Amazing. All right, well, let's go into that. David Axrod and Holy Thursday. So coming off the back of David Axelrod and Holy Thursday, we're actually going to talk about your next mm. track straight away. Um, mm. So the wonderfully talented Frankie Valli and The Night. Just... Underrated as well, because people have seen him on Grease or something and they've no idea just how, how jolly cool he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, My dad always yeah. had that with Buddy Holly. He would make me listen yeah. to Buddy Holly records because it's like you don't realise how influential this man was to everything you, you listen to. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was saying earlier about being influenced and educated from from above. Mm. You know, yeah, it's very important that you have an education. You can you can be an autodidact. You can kind of learn yourself. Yeah, yeah. With a lot of things, and uh, that comes later. But at some point, you have to submit to the will of Allah. You know, you have to kind of give in to somebody who knows a bit more than you do, which is something that's very much going out of fashion at the moment. Listening to other people. You know, it's like everybody knows everything now, or they'll listen to an algorithm first. That's... And sometimes, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to be told. Sometimes it's funny, you know, isn't it? Sorry, people yeah. are more willing to listen to what a robot tells them to actually take advice from anyone that's around them a lot of the time. Because it's because it hasn't come from another ego. Yeah. So they so they consider themselves curating something, when in fact they should be learning. So they're always, if you like, an imaginary expert. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I learned, I, I learned this in inverted commas from it, from a, an algorithm. Therefore I'm in control of it. Therefore I'm a curator rather than a pilgrim yeah, rather yeah. than a learner. So it's, it's a very interesting process where if you like the process is now dead and, and everybody's, if you like, um, 
a Trump, a Trumpy Boris Johnson y kind of chancer where they're just kind of chancing everything. And it doesn't matter how real it is because all that matters is opinion. So it's a, yeah, interesting times as the Chinese like to curse each other with. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. so just going back to that, I mean, like, what? So why Frankie Valley in the night? What What was it about that particular? That was song? again. It was about it was about learning. I I wasn't old enough to get into Northern Soul nights, but Northern Soul was massive. A scene that didn't need anything, didn't even need any new records. Mm. It was a completely enclosed, hermetically sealed unit that didn't need a music industry, didn't even need new records. As I just said, you just needed. Uh, love and devotion for it and it was also entirely working class and entirely about uh, you know uh, if you like making a zone away from the work work life so it was the first certainly in the UK all night raving experience there was there was sort of things in the 60s in London like UFO and stuff and and you know the, the, the Pink Floyd used to do stuff all night and that's where the word rave came from but the northern soul scene was very much what we the model for mm. what came later with Acid House. So we, we used to, again, with the bigger boys, with the big big uns, we used to call them. Anybody older than us was a big un. And we used to like follow the big uns around, including getting on a train and going to, to, um, to the Wigan Casino and just not getting in. And we'd go there, we'd spend all our pocket money <laughs> like with our best button-down shirts on and imaginary big pants. And they just go, what are you doing? You're 12. <laughs> when, you're, when you're on the door, like, just go away. You know, the people in here taking drugs and doing proper fancy dancing. You know, you're still playing with Conkers, bugger off. Okay, so coming off the back of Frankie Valley and the Night, uh, uh, the next track, the colorblind James experience, mm, considering a move mm, to Memphis. So why? I think with things like this, when you're doing, um, uh, you know, radio, or, or we were talking earlier about mixes, there's a lot of self-aggrandizement. You know, it's, it's a hagiography in, all, in audio of like how great you are, how cool you are, and you choose, choose things either because they go with the last thing. Mm-hmm. or they make you look clever or they make you look cool or they, you know, they put you in a place with a certain gang and these things like this, when you're asking me honestly about influences in my life, they have to be actual influences. Mm-hmm. So they don't have any relation to each other because why would they in real life? Yeah. Why would a record that I played the drums to in my bedroom have anything to do with an indie band that I went to see live for the first time in Leeds? They're just not connected at all, except as a genuine thing that happened in my life. So I'm trying to be honest here. I'm not trying to make people like me with the, with the, with the incredibly overreaching coolness of my curation. I'm just telling you the truth. These are the records that were uh, an important part of my life. And, and this one is uh, the Colourbine James experience was I went into this club the, the, the Duchess of York in Leeds, where I really wanted to work there. Because I used to do a little bit of like security work and, and also audio, you know, like I was a bit of a roadie sort of thing. Right. And, uh, and that's how we got into Acid House because they used to borrow our equipment and, or, or rent it and we'd go to these gigs providing the sound. You know, we didn't really have anything to do with it. Culturally, we were the techs. You know, we 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 were the we were the the the, the ponytails of the torches, <laughs> and uh, we went to I went to see the Colourbine James experience in about 1986, something like that, just before Acid House, and two things really struck me: repetition. This band, because for me, techno and house is the blues, mm-hmm. and the blues is repetition. 
you know, I got up this morning, I got up this morning. Uh, and it's just repeating the same thing over and over again because part of sadness, which the blues is, is being forced into a grind that is complete repetition. Mm. Repetition is everything with the blues and the blues is house and techno. So here was a band who uh, were American, landed in, you know, the middle of Yorkshire and they had a, a, a live stand-up bassist, uh, you know, and they were quite sort of twee and a little bit funny, but they had repetition. It was just, you've kind of found yourself rocking back and forth, which felt very, very pleasant, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and if, if not a little bit Rain Man. And, and you just sort of enjoyed this new experience of, of, of live performers who were so willing to break the mould that they didn't have a beginning, a middle end. It didn't have a, a, a bridge and a middle. It did. It did have elements of this, but it was almost like, almost like techno, mm. even though it was quite jolly indie band. And it was this sort of, and, and and then it did start to cross over. You got things like new fast automatic daffodils, people like that around this time, who were merging that acid house thing with with live instruments. And then you had the sort of Manchester thing. But Sheffield was doing it years before anyway. But we were very much in the middle of a melting pot. People who try to tell you that they arrived ready-made, you know, they were always cool. They always listened to cool records. They always wore the right clothes. They always had the right shoes. They're lying. Yeah. I was there. I was there and I was going up and down the M1 as well as a roadie and as a musician. And everybody was doing all kinds of stuff at the same time. The narrative that was imposed on us about, you know, some lads going to a Ibiza and coming back discovery, it's bullshit. You know, people were people were making electronic records in Sheffield in in the seventies. You know, there was it was uh, you know it was um, one narrative won't allow the other to exist. When really the truth is there was lots of stories and they're all relevant and they all mean something. But the the, the sort of the fascism, if you like, of a narrative is the people who make the most money out of it are always going to tell the same story. Yeah, always, and it life is not that simple it's not like a movie it doesn't have a handy narrative with one set of characters it's uh it's bigger it's more complex so yeah this is a weird record but it was what i was listening to at the time i yeah. love it colorblind james experience considering a move to memphis Considering, I'm considering a move to Memphis, a move to Memphis. I'm considering, I'm considering. So that was the colorblind James experience with considering. Well, a move. What, do you get what I mean about repetition? There, it's almost like, almost like a a live techno record, and also is Philip Glass. You know, and mm-hmm. so it's that sort of thing where repetition and minimalism. Uh, you know, they've always been there. We mm. did the techno didn't discover it. It just it was writ large. But sorry, I interrupted. No, you're good. You're good. So okay. yeah, the colorblind James experience. Considering a move to mm. Memphis, uh, we're going to go on to your next one, which really changes the tone pretty quickly. Um, so, so, <laughs> so talk. So talk about this. Talk us through it. Well, it, because again, because it's real stuff. I learnt. Uh, formally, I learned the violin because I used to play the fiddle in the Irish Centre and then I would play it in school. I was the only kid in school who had music lessons at lunchtime. I used to get a, a, an early lunch pass, though, 
So it, it wasn't without its benefits. You know, I used to be able to get to the front because I'd have my lunch before everybody else when all the good stuff was there. Mm-hmm. And then and then I'd have my music lessons during lunchtime when all the kids were doing weird things like sports, you know, yeah. sniffing glue, <laughs> kissing each other. I don't know. I was I was I was doing the French horn. <laughs> the French horn and the violin. I also played the drums a lot. So it was um and so there was a lot of classical music in my life because I learned music formally mm-hmm. from teachers. Again, being t- talking about humility, about being taught and about learning instead of thinking you know everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I spent a long time being a pupil. And by a pupil, I mean like a proper like prospect. You know, I was sort of ground ground down by the by, by the big uns. Yeah. And, and you, you, you'd fix things, you'd carry things, you'd plug things in, but you'd also start from the beginning like we didn't we weren't allowed to sit at the drum kit for the first two years for the first two years of learning the drums we did rudiments with our hands and with the sticks on a table right we didn't you know we, we had to learn the hard way like you learn anything the hard way and it's very boring <laughs> no nobody wants to do it but you kind of in a way brutalized into it yeah you know, we were hit we were, we were we were punished you couldn't do that today and ergo if you know I, I, i'm i'm so left left wing my my legs are practically crossed but in terms of you know uh, there is something to be said for forcing kids to do things they don't want because i wouldn't change it for the world i was forced to do all kinds of things that i hated including classical music and i hated it so much it was like homework and of course now i'm an adult i love it yeah. and i look back at that time and think how much how much it influenced me uh, and i didn't really know that much about it i'm not i'm also though i'm i'm a, i'm one of these people now that i'm a bit older where i'm completely unapologetic i don't care if people think that i'm being uh you know, it, it, in, it disingenuous or or in any way, um, uh, I don't know what's what's the word I'm looking for pretentious. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I'll talk about classical music and flowers and painting in a heartbeat. I don't I, just because I'm I'm a, I'm a northerner. What I'm supposed to like flat caps and chips. It's like yeah, I do actually. We're very keen on flat caps and chips, but uh, obviously Peaky Blinders have ruined the whole flat cap thing. But it's um. It's a thing where, yeah, it's about not apologising. So if you ask me what was influential when I was growing up, classical music was huge. And also because it was my dad's thing. My dad used to sit there and listen to classical music on its own. The idea of sitting there and listening to music on its own is almost unheard of now as well. Everybody's doing it almost like as a background to something else or as fuel for their awesome plastic temporary DJ career. But he was somebody who just sat there and just listened to music on a stereo with nothing else. And that again, sort of, it's almost almost unheard of. So I would mimic my dad as you would do as a, as a young boy, and and I would listen to music on its own, and I would listen to his. A lot of them were horrible things like James Last. I used to listen to James Last recordings, who was a sort of pop version of, uh, of of classical music, but it was about learning. So you would listen to this stuff, and this was the 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 pointy end of music. You were, you know, by one Saturday morning, I might be, you know, doing some diddly don'ts down at the Irish Centre, uh, playing with a band called the Fusiliers, and we used to wear little electric emerald green dicky bows. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> and then I'd go home and listen to Prokofiev. And this is interesting because Prokofiev's waltz, obviously, is famous for things like Romeo and Juliet and you know, great big pompous Russian things. But um, the the waltz, the three four time, yeah. It, things like uh, Golden Brown by the Stranglers are in three, four time, one, two, three, one, two, three. It's quite rare in popular music, but it's very common in in, uh, in classical music. But there's something deranged about waltzes. 
there's something of of the of the sort of the carousel at a fairground about waltzes. They, they sp- you're supposed to spin around to a waltz when you dance. Yeah. And I used to spin around in this chair and listen to waltzes. And it it sounded it, to me as as a kid, it, it was the sound of insanity. A waltz to me sounds like somebody losing their mind or spinning out of control. It's about a centrifugal force. So it almost has a sort of, if you like, a synesthesia thing where it's sort of a sound relates to an action in the same way that a great composer can paint a picture with sound. So I used to find waltzes to be uh, a little bit loopy. And this is, I think, the loopiest waltz in my collection of loopy waltzes. Well, here we go then. So there we go. That was uh, the waltz by Prokofiev. Um, yeah, bonkers, right? It just it, it, it makes me feel a bit queasy. <laughs> it's such so a... it's just, which is well, it's powerful. That it's powerful that somebody sat down and probably with that with very little just a pencil that came out of his head and can make somebody else feel queasy. That's 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 the power of art. It has a it has a reaction, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess across any creative art, any industry that's creative, that's always kind of the thing, isn't it? It has to, it has to prompt, yeah, yeah, exactly. It has to prompt a reaction, or even if it's disgust, which is what modern art is now. It's basically trolling trolling people with sharks in formaldehyde, you know. You know it's, but the it's the same thing. thing. It was the first thing I thought. Was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so where, where are we now? Well, so we're, we're just set off there. We're free of the bonds of time. We're up to yeah. Fra- Frank Zappa and Mother's Invention. Uh, yeah, Inca Roads. Oh, the sound of a million people switching off. <laughs> <laughs> Have I lost every listener? That? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a funny thing because Frank Zappa's. Um, it's, it, there's the, I won't call them a mafia, but I know a lot of people because I'm a journalist. I know a lot of other music journalists, and and they do. They are mates, and sometimes they do kind of decide on something. Uh, you know, there's a there's a, a kind of um, a agreement a chord happens mm-hmm. and they're like, they're, they suddenly all like this obscure Italian glam funk band or they all hate F- Frank Zappa, you know, or, you know, the Morrissey thing happened first of all with all the music journalists. They were like, yep, he's gone. He's canceled. Yeah. And I, you know, for, for good reason. And, uh, and, and Frank Zappa is, is very much verboten. He's too weird. He's too silly. He's, he's said some questionable things. He's not PC. Uh, and and he's also um, you know he's hard work. He makes some frankly hideous records as well as some beautiful ones, but nobody sees their wood for the trees in that case. And and it's 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 almost suicide to say you like Frank Zappa because you know the 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 biggins the the bigger boys will all say ah oh, you dickhead nobody likes Frank Zappa you know he's 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 got a bad attitude to to groupies and things. He was a satirist. Yeah, it's like saying Chris Morris should go to jail for 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 um the day to day or you know or brass eye. It's like he was taking the piss. He was a, he was a very very very. He was also at the time the only American, really. He was. I mean, that's why. Um, what's his name from The Simpsons? Uh, my uh, Gronig mm. loves Frank Zappa because he was The Simpsons before The Simpsons existed. He held up a mirror to America, which was oh vastly overconfident and grotesque, and 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 said, "Look," and he hated hippies. He thought, and he was at the peak of the hippie thing. He was playing, you know, rock, you know, psychedelic rock music 
and he just turned around and said, "You're all dickheads," <laughs> you know. And 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 I have. I have a, a massive admiration for one-man awkward squads or one-woman awkward squads. It's gender is irrelevant. It's just the attitudes, everything. Well, and and he and he had a, a unique perspective. I'm going to point to you then there and start with your first book as being a one-man awkward squad, or at least someone who's shining a mirror to the industry that they're involved in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like anybody like that. You know, somebody like Marky e. Smith. Uh, yeah, or even somebody you know slightly ridiculous like uh, you know any of the Royster Doyster actors like Oliver Reed. I just mm-hmm. love people like that who just say "fuck you." I don't care. And and today they would be cancelled within seconds. Yeah. So as I say, you know, as I say, I'm very very left wing by nature, and I also believe things like wokeness are essential for yeah. our. We will never progress as a species unless we consider these things. But it's also a weapon, and it's also got a. Every, we're trying to polarize everything now to 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 to, to left and right black and white everything has to be have a, a binary outcome everything's vastly more complex than that every single thing so you know nuance is is being destroyed there's no nuance anymore so in, in a sense becoming the secret dj was um necessary because the, the publishers wouldn't put the book out if it was in my own name uh, it had because everyone's a good american now no matter where you're born and americans always sue yeah. So you have to have a, an element of anonymity because of that. And, and apparently, according to my publisher, which is Faber and Faber, the very, very, very big publisher, they're like, oh, it's never it's never one of the main protagonists that sue. It's always somebody who opens the door, drives the car. Right. You know, they, they, they recognise themselves and they, they smell money. And the irony is there's no money. There's no money at all in publishing now. It's the same as the music business. The downloads have killed it and... But everybody thinks, and also fame is an element. If they see something famous, they think it must have money attached to it. So therefore I must sue. I was took great pains not to insult anyone or, or certainly not to say anything untrue. Because a lot of people think it's a um, it's a story. It's not a story. Everything in the book happened. Mm. Yeah. So it was it was the book was uh, inevitable if if I'm gonna continue to be a boil or an onion in the custard for, for my industry, which I think I think it's important that there are people who, it's, it's a little bit lonely, boo-hoo, diddums, it's a little bit lonely uh, being the boil on the face of an industry. It's, you know, self-appointed conscience. One of the best things anybody ever said to me on the internet was, who made you the self-appointed arbiter of everything? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that's me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I made that active choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who made you the self-appointed arbiter? Yeah, I think you've answered your own question there. But it's it's a, yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange place because I've always been that sort of personality. Yeah. But it got to a point where I think that the world became extremely toxic and extreme. The, the right wingers put billions into keeping everybody guessing. They've copied um, what's his name, Vladislav Serkov, uh, Putin's advisor, who was a, a, a you know a conceptual artist, and he's the guy in. And if you watch the Adam Curtis documentaries who got Putin to fund every side to keep everybody guessing, because mm-hmm. there's con- control through confusion is, 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 is much easier than taking a side. And that's what we're seeing now in America and in England of sort of a land of confusion that's intentionally um, chaotic. So part of that, because I could see that coming on, because I do a bit of political journalism as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, I felt all that coming and I felt, that had to do something. So it was either <laughs> go up a church tower with a rifle, or it was, or, or write a book about idiots taking drugs. Well, 
thankfully <laughs> you chose one of them so well you... it depends it depends. yes <laughs> that depends but thankfully whether you think the book's any good or not. you might want to get shot in the head right by a lonely deranged sniper after you've read it i don't know well firstly if we've got any listeners left left they're going to listen to frank zappa and mother's invention and then we're going to come and talk about well uh... i would i would i would say stay where you are because uh, for every note of zappers that was unlistenable claptrap and a lot of it was there were some beautiful things things that are really almost like uh, dazzling to because it wasn't just um you know virtuosity about zappa he, he he also really did understand you know melody and and all his band are the best in the but were always the best in the business they he always had the best drum in the world the best xylophone player in the world the best keyboard player i mean this this is george duke playing the keyboards and singing for the first time he, he convinced chronically shy keyboard wizard to sing for the first time in a ridiculous falsetto you know and he was like okay frank because if you didn't do what frank said you're out you know he was a band leader like james brown he was mm. he had to be fierce because he understood he was you know herding egos so um yeah i mean th- if you like this is the sound of arguably the best musicians alive at the time playing uh you know a, a, a extremely difficult but also at the same time beautiful engaging thing so yeah bear with us have a listen to this but if you can stand it it'll be over soon <laughs> frank zappa mother's of invention inca roads 